Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Dr. Vanessa on, who is a psychologist. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, you've had a bit of a lively uh, lively Thursday, you were saying off air. I have indeed, but <laughs> nice nice and calm now um, to talk to you, so all good. Good stuff. Um, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do, Vanessa? Yeah, so um, I'm a psychologist, which actually can mean lots of different things. And I suppose hopefully part of this will give me an opportunity, I suppose, to, to let people understand the breadth of what it could mean if you are a psychologist or if you choose to go into this kind of field. Um, so as a, as a child psychologist, I'm actually a counselling psychologist. Um, there are different types of psychologists. Um, I suppose the, the most common are either a counselling psychologist, which I am, um, or a clinical psychologist. And uh, it was probably good at one point if I can explain the difference between the two. Yeah, um, what is the difference between the two out of interest? Um, so um, clinical psychology. So clinical psychologist has been around for a very long time, lo longer than counselling psychology. Um, so generally speaking, the journey to become a clinical psychologist is that you do your um, psychology degree um, and then you apply to become a, um, a clinical psychologist. And effectively, that is kind of funded through the NHS. Um, so you're, you, you have to train generally after you have done some level of kind of assistant psychology role. Um, um, and then effectively the, the NHS fund for your training as well as for your clinical placements. Because when you train to be a psychologist, not only are you doing the learning element, you very quickly start doing the, the kind of the clinical side of things as well. So you'd be working it, it, from a clinical psychology point of view within an NHS setting, um, and you actually continue to be paid for doing that. Um, so as a trainee, you are paid, uh, a trainee clinical psychologist, you are paid to do the work that you are doing um, on the course and also um, in the clinical settings that you, that you work in. Um, counseling psychology, which uh, is not as popular for the fact that you have to fund the whole thing yourself. Wow. So um, it also has a slightly heavier focus on the therapeutic side of of the of the of the industry so as a counseling psychologist uh, in terms of how m my journey into it i did my bsc psychology um at leeds university um i won't labor i actually didn't go straight into uh being becoming a psychologist i actually spent 10 years in in marketing um oh, and, wow. then went, and then went back and did my doctorate um to become uh, a psychologist um, and, and that doctorate training, which is effectively the, the, the counselling psychology training, um, is, you know, what someone as a clinical psychologist would be doing through the NHS, uh, but you have to fund it yourself. So I went to um, Regents College. Um, it was actually a University of Wales um, doctorate course that was done out of Regents College in London. Um, and it's a three year course. Um, Part of that, again, because very much with the counselling psychology, there is quite a focus on the therapeutic side of things. You yourself have to be in therapy um, for the whole time. Uh, and you also have to accrue 450 therapy hours, i.e. you working as a therapist 
you have to accrue 450 hours, uh, which generally when you're doing that training, you're not paid for. Wow. Uh, sorry, yeah, you're not you're not paid for that. Um, so it is it is a more costly route to becoming a psychologist. So and then the difference in terms of what we do, actually, weirdly now, especially since I trained, you know, the jobs, let's say the NHS, they're looking for a psychologist. It generally will be you can either be a counseling psychologist or a clinical psychologist. Um, so there isn't a huge difference these days in terms of the opportunities that that it gives you. Cool. So that's quite an interesting move then. So you did 10 years of marketing and then you changed. How did that come about? Um, so, I, I, yeah, I chose to do psychology at, at uni um, many moons ago when I was much younger. Um, and I'll be honest with you, at the time, you know, I went to uni where we didn't have to pay for um, uni. Where there were no uni fees when I went, which shows how old I am. Um, <laughs> and... Um, I was at a point in my life when when you're 16 years old, you've got to choose. I always found this weird. You had to do your UCA form and choose what, what you wanted to do at the age of 16. And I didn't really know, if I'm honest with you, what I wanted to do then. And I I thought, I mean, I didn't they didn't even have psychology as an A-level at my school that I went to. Um, but I just thought psychology felt like a really interesting topic and thought it would be useful. My printer really randomly has decided to start printing. <laughs> That's okay, don't worry. They literally have a mind of their own, don't they? They do. Yeah, yeah. facts. <laughs> yeah, it, that's hilarious. Um, so, um, so yeah, I chose psychology thinking, well, that, you know, it's always going to be helpful to understand people more, whatever it is that I do. Mm. Had a great three years, really enjoyed it, but literally had no inclination. I think I left uni thinking that to become a psychologist if I was to become a psychologist that was me in a lab wearing a white coat which wasn't very appealing to me um and so actually I thought actually I'm weirdly I thought I'm gonna go into finance and then I went traveling for a year um after university and um and kind of I don't know got a bit more in touch with my creative side and came back and thought oh I quite fancy doing something like marketing Mm. um and just fell into, I started working in marketing agencies, um, you know, really fast paced kind of fun environment to be in, in your early twenties. Um, but I just, it always felt like, there's my printer again. I actually think it's my husband somewhere else, somewhere else printing stuff out. Um, so um, I just, it was, it was great fun. Um, I learned a lot and actually interestingly, I actually love the fact that I did that because it has given me a load of skills that I use given the fact that I run my own business. Mm. So I've got a lot of kind of skills that I've taken from that to understand how I market myself um, as a psychologist. Um, So I, I suppose during my time in marketing, I kept kind of looking out for things that maybe I could do to kind of fulfill that what felt like something I wasn't fulfilling um I did a massage course I trained to be a masseuse in that time um I think I was always just interested in that kind of mind and body um kind of link yeah um and then I just thought I I kept coming back to psychology and I kept going I'd love to do something with it and and thought that maybe perhaps I could do a short little course and you know do some counseling 
Um, and then I, so then I just started to research it. Um, and actually I thought, no, you know what? I'm gonna train to be a psychotherapist. And I found a psychotherapy course. I'm gonna turn my printer off. I'm sorry, hold on one second. <laughs> That's okay, no problem. Um, I found a psychotherapy course in a, a college in Roehampton and um, I phoned up the university and I mean, you can never get hold of um, kind of course leaders or anything like that. But I managed mm. I managed to speak to someone um, and ask them about the course. And they actually asked about, my, you know, what what I'd done before. And I said I'd done the um, I said I'd done the BSc in psychology at uni. And he, uh, and he said to me, well, why wouldn't you do the doctorate? And at that point, I didn't even know that there was a doctorate. Um, and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to retrain, um, let's let's do it let's go for it yeah Let, let's let's go for you know being able to be a psychologist and 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 that's what I've that's what I chose to do um yeah. and you know it was it's a big hard slog um but was worth worth it to say the least so where does psychology sort of fit within um fit within the world because obviously like you, you have your neuroscience side which is literally studying the brain and how that works yeah. and then you obviously have that like therapy side which is obviously um helping people whereas you're sort of like in the middle of understanding how people work but not and how people interact with things but not sort of like the chemical physicsy side of it well actually I do. And it's and it depends who you are and what you are and what your approach is as a psychologist. And I, I think I said at the beginning, you know, being a psychologist can mean so many different things. Um, you know, some psychologists don't do therapy. Um, some psychologists do. Some psychologists will be use a psychodynamic approach. Um, some will use predominantly CBT. You know, everyone every psychologist is different in terms of what they do for me i'm i, I would i'm kind of would be termed like an integrated uh, psychologist which means i pull from a load of different theories and approaches in into my work um but actually i'm i am quite not quite i'm very science driven so for me um everything that i do and actually what i how what the things i share with clients that I work with both on a therapeutic level but also when I'm running workshops will always have a foundation in science it's the first thing that I always do I basically help people understand the very basics of how their mind and brain works so I do pull a lot on neuroscience and and the chemistry and the and you know the the scientific foundations of our brain because what I find is if you can explain to someone the why as in why are you feeling like this? Why are you behaving like this? Why are you thinking like this? Then there, it gives them a, a much greater um, opportunity to take control of how they're thinking and feeling and what they're doing. And they're more likely to engage with the things that will be more healthy for them to engage with. So, you know, I think for me as an individual, I love a bit of, I love science. I like facts. I, I like to know that you know what I'm talking about is embedded in kind of evidence-based facts, uh, and I think also so me as an individual, but also in terms of my history and 
and the work that I've done, I've, I've done a lot of work within military mental health. Um, and they're definitely a, um, a group of people that like facts, you know, and, and they like to um, they like to know that what you're talking about isn't kind of fluffy, uh, which unfortunately a lot of people or, you know, people can think that psychology or therapy is fluffy when actually, you know, if, if you understand the science and the foundations of the mind, it's far from fluffy. It's, it's actually based in, in, you know, chemical evidence and structural evidence of how your body and how your mind um, is formed. So, so, so for me, yes, there are different aspects of psychology, the real neuroscience, which is purely about how the brain and the mind works. What I try to do in my world um, and in my work is I take that what could be deemed as complex understanding, make it accessible to people so that they understand it and, and enables them to, you know, as I like to call it, keep psychologically fit, fit and well. Mm. Um, but actually having the science and the understanding is the real bedrock. It's the real, it, it's what motivates people or, you know, to actually do something. You know, if, you, if I just tell someone to do a breathing exercise, if I tell them what is actually happening inside of them whilst they're doing that breathing exercise, there is a gr much greater chance that they will do it. Hundred mm, percent. Well, we we actually had a, a super interesting neuroscientist on, um, and he was telling us all about uh, how the understanding of the brain is developing rapidly and, and we're learning more and more about it um as, as the, each day goes on now and how much of what you do is um professional development so how much are you still having to learn these new theories or these new uh, scientific findings oh i mean constantly mm. you know it's, it's a constant i mean it helps that i love it i'm fascinated by it um and I'm always questioned on my book selection when I go on inverted commas holiday, which um, <laughs> we've all forgotten what that feels like to a certain degree. But I, I literally can't go on holiday without taking psychology books with me because I, you know, I'm constantly wanting to learn more about it. But I suppose I'm lucky in that I find it fascinating. I find it really interesting. But also when you do what I do, you're always wanting to understand new ways to either help someone in a therapeutic context, a different way to think about something, more evidence around the way that they're responding to something. You want to be able to give that to, to someone. Uh, and additionally, constantly trying in work, like workshops that I do with um, you know, companies and organizations, just anything that helps people understand the brain and their mind more, which will facilitate them wanting to engage with stuff and and to question the way that they're thinking or the or the behaviors that they're doing uh, to, to enable them to choose better ways of thinking and better ways of doing things so it's it's a constant kind of a constant life of cpd i i actually i i actually do say it's a bit of a double-edged sword when you work in something that you love because you kind of can't put it down mm. yeah certainly for for you after finishing your doctorate what was sort of like the process of starting your career in this industry yeah i mean for me it would be very different to say someone who chose to let's say go down and join the nhs for example so 
as a especially as a trainee clinical psychology that's the most natural route that you would continue to work your way up within the NHS um so you you either have an opportunity you either choose to kind of go down the NHS route or you choose to go down some of the other routes which is which is effectively what I did so I I chose to effectively set up my own therapy therapy um offering or therapy practice as such from the off you you know you've got to understand by that point I've been doing it for five years uh, during my training mm. um and actually in our final year we are allowed to kind of to as part of those 450 hours that you need to accrue of therapy you are allowed to start charging um so I I chose to kind of find private clients myself so I started um doing that but because of the doc because as part of the doctorate I um I did a I did my big piece of research that you, you have to do as part of the doctorate I did it um on veterans with PTSD and I uh, I, at that point, when I was looking for participants, I contacted a charity called Combat Stress, and I ended up doing my final year uh, clinical placement uh, with them. And, and that, for me, it then, without me necessarily making a very informed choice to do so, I just really naturally carried on taking a path of doing more military mental health related stuff. So I had my own kind of therapy practice where I would do therapy with anyone from any walk of life from teenagers up to um, adults uh, old age pensioners um, and and then I worked for a number of different organizations that were had a, a military focus so I went and I worked at Headley Court which is the rehabilita uh, rehabilitation center um, for the MOD during the thick of the Afghan conflict so I worked wow. on a mental health team there then I went back to combat stress and worked on their six-week PTSD course I, um, I then was part of Walking with the Wounded, another charity as part of their consulting psychologist as part of their um, South Pole expedition. And then I went to Help for Heroes and I was their head of psychological well-being at Help for Heroes for about five years until I then left there and set up um, Mindflex, which is my company that I kind of work out of. I work out of um, mm. it's my company. Um, but then, even when I left Help for Heroes, I then uh, had a contract with the MOD and with the Royal Foundation, as they were at the time, to be the clinical lead on a mental fitness platform for the MOD. Um, wow, so, so it's super. You've got a really massive interest in the armed forces and, and helping those uh, guys and girls out. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I always say this when I was when I was doing my doctorate and I we had to start thinking about what we were going to do our thesis on someone somewhere said to me and I wish I could remember who they said, um, make sure you do it on a subject that you're passionate about, because there will be blood, sweat and tears, uh, which there definitely was. Uh, but my my brother was serving the parachute regiment at the time um, and he had been in Afghan and my sister-in-law was also um, serving in, in the army um, and she headed up the hospital at Camp Bastion um, oh. at the in the thick of it all and so I just it just felt like a really natural thing to, to be the focus of my research um, so I suppose that's possibly where not possibly it would be the reason behind why I did my thesis and then it just exposed me to a group of people, not only just a group of people, it also exposed me to, it sounds a bit weird to say this, trauma, which mm. I, I'm, so I'm a trained trauma therapist, um, which I 
really um it sounds a bit weird to say I really enjoy working with trauma but it's it's such a fascinating um area of psychology to, to work within and also just amazing to be able to provide support for someone who has been through something traumatic and to see them through some amazing techniques um, that, that we use, um, you know, move, move past some of their PTSD symptoms. So, uh, you know, it, 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 the military just kind of, I, I was exposed to it. And I just, I suppose I was also just really inspired by that group of people as well. Yeah because you know the people that go into the armed forces and you know especially things like the paras and and that kind of elite force their mental strength must be incredible so for them to to get you know like ptsd and things it must be so rewarding for you to be able to help these people out yeah and 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 that's it it's it's an amazing thing to be able to to facilitate you know and that's what you are you are you are a facilitator that individual has to do the work themselves mm. but you you you've got and i know i've got some techniques and some specific you know the the you know the nice guidelines it's it's either uh, trauma focused cbt or it's emdr which is what i'm trained in uh, and it's a unbelievable technique that still sometimes baffles me in terms of how effective it is um and and so it's yeah it's you kind of sometimes when I watch these documentaries on uh, you know on tv and they're talking to veterans or, or other pe- anyone who's experiencing something traumatic and and for me I know that they're explaining or they're they're sharing PTSD based symptoms I kind of want to go oh no you just you need you need you just need to have some therapy I mean it don't get me wrong therapy doesn't necessarily you know we can't kind of cure there isn't such thing as a curing everything but there are Mm. some people that have never had support and been able to get get the right support you know that there's a good chance that you can help them if, uh, if if they were able to to get it well that's one of the things obviously going on at the moment is obviously mental health has become more and more of a topic that people are being more comfortable about talking about but there's obviously definitely still a stigma around going to a therapist or or seeing someone a doctor to help with um your mental health why do you think that is and are are you seeing um the england and the community sort of break down and actually starting to to move these barriers where people are becoming more comfortable with it I mean, there's definitely, um, it's something I'm really passionate about and I'll explain what I mean by that in terms of the kind of actually think, trying to get people to think about psychological health, not just about mental ill health. Um, But the reality is that's what we have focused on over the last kind of 10 years. And yes, it's been fantastic. We've done so much, so much has been done to try and break down that stigma. Um, but it is still absolutely rife. You know, 100% are we seeing more people come forward? Yes. So what does that mean? Does that mean that stigma is really reducing? Not necessarily. Um, there is to a certain degree, there will be a level that, and I definitely think the younger generation are much better um, than the older, or the, you know, the, the older generations um, on that. Um but the reality is what we do know still is that 70% of people who require support don't seek it. 
and you know stigma in terms of those treatment seek or help supporting barriers um you know stigma is still one of the biggest as well as people not really um being able to get access you know getting access to therapy through the nhs is, is a postcode lottery it depends where you live you know some some areas it's a four to five week uh, wait you know others it's nine to 12 months and you think of someone who's finally plucked up the courage to come forward um and they've basically got to wait 12 months to get a level of support so you know the stigma is still massive and it's one of the reasons why i really the big drum that i try to beat in in all the stuff that i do is that you know when you say the phrase mental health to someone um generally speaking if you ask them what that means to them they will say depression anxiety crisis panic you know in relation to something negative you know there is another end another end to the continuum of psychological health and that is you know what I like to call psychological fitness or mind fitness which is you know what we all have to pay attention to our psychological health so that we can protect it you know we've got to move and bring in more preventative and proactive ways of approaching our psychological health we do it with our physical health you know we all know that we you know eat good foods or we try to or we know at least that we should be eating good foods or keeping active and what does that do that helps protect our physical health we're proactive we do that on a day-to-day -day basis but because we haven't talked about psychological health in that way we've only really focused on what do we do once someone has reached the point where they are psychologically unwell how can we support them and and that we we've got to move to a better balance between helping people understand and this for me is what will help reduce stigma is that we're not always focusing on mental ill health we're just opening up the parameters of what psychological health means i think yeah you you've touched on something great there because for me i'd know if it's so easy to access information about you know increasing your physical health you know uh, there's so many resources but i wouldn't have a clue where to start looking if i just wanted to help improve my own yeah psychological health you need to do my psychological fitness series then <laughs> <laughs> please no explain what that is um well again i suppose for me this first of all i used to kind of go into organizations and do like a day's workshop on psychological fitness and obviously that all went um or half a day or whatever so i i've kind of recalibrated everything to make it um a lot shorter sharper and mean and in more nugget format so that people find it more accessible and easy to listen to as opposed to having to listen to me harp on for too long um but but what it is is giving people and i've kind of touched on it a bit the scientific foundations of your mind to start with so the psychological fitness series at the moment it's a it's an hour long what i call psychological fitness immersion session um where i share with people how your brain works what psychological fitness is versus what mental health or how you see mental health. So I tried to differentiate the two by saying mental ill health and psychological fitness. Once you get, once you do that immersion session, you've got this understanding around this, you know, the science, the, the science behind our mind. And then I've created a, a psychological fitness model that has 10 psychological fitness factors. And these are all kind of evidence-based um, skills that we know if we, if you engage with them and you learn about them and you do tools and strategies 
um, with them, they will contribute positively towards your psychological health. So once you've done that one hour immersion session, um, then you receive these kind of 10 short videos via email um, uh, after that immersion session for a couple of weeks. But what it does is it gives you uh, it gives you that scientific foundation. It gives you the why and then it gives you the how um, through a load of tools and strategies that also come with it. And, and this was very much born out of my kind of uh, frustration to a certain degree. It's probably not the right word, but I'd sit in a therapy session and this happens pretty much with every therapy session. Um, I will, you know, the way a therapy session works for me in terms of, and again, all psychologists do it differently, but I'll take at least, to be honest, two sessions to do, you know, take historical information and do an assessment. Um, and then I, I create what I call a, a psychological formulation uh, and a plan for that individual. But the first thing that I will pretty much do then is then teach them, give them an understanding about the science of their brain and their mind. And there is always generally this little penny drop moment where someone goes, oh, oh my gosh, I get it. Right, so that is why I think like that. That's why I respond like that. Oh, and that's why I feel like that when I'm thinking like that, because my brain's doing this. And I always thought, you know what? It's kind of really unfair that the only people that get to really understand this are people who end up in a therapy room. <laughs> You know, this isn't this isn't applicable because you are in a therapy room. It's applicable to you because you're a human being and we're all human beings. But what you're finding these days at schools, they are now starting to teach this stuff. But when the rest of us, you know, we've missed out of mm. all this basic understanding. Um, so for the psychological fitness series is, is essentially just helping people understand how they build and maintain their psychological fitness on a day to day basis, because that's what helps protect your psychological well-being and your mind. hundred percent. Everything you've said um, makes sense, because to me, when I thought of mental health or well-being, it was, um, you know, right at the end, you know, when, like you say, when you're at crisis point or yeah. when, when something's gone terribly wrong. But you're 100% right. Mental health is an ongoing thing, like physical health. Do you reckon in, in 20 years time, we'll look back at how we kind of, uh, how our generations have, have lived and think, oh, my God, they didn't do their mental health exercises. Like we look back and think nobody used to exercise in the way they needed to. If I've got anything to do with it, I hope so, yes. <laughs> I'm on a bit of a mission at the moment. Um, I really, really hope so. The, the point is, though, it, it's a big beast. It's a big attitudinal beast that we've got to help change. And, and, that, and that is also another reason why I tend to talk about psychological fitness as opposed to mental fitness, because there is this association with the phrase mental health that is all about mental ill health. So actually my approach is that, you know, we don't have time given the stats around the prevalence of mental ill health, uh, especially in certain, um, it, you know, in, in, in certain populations, especially in men um, um, in, in relation to their suicide rates. You know, we don't have time to wait for the term mental health to have a different connotation. So that's why I like to use a different one now. So I can try and convince people that, you know what, give yourself permission to talk about and to engage with, with, with psychological fitness or mind fitness. Mm -hmm. And it will in the end, hopefully make people just a bit more open to, um, you know, being comfortable 
talking about doing things for your mind and it's not because you are mentally unwell it's because you're a human being mm. and you do this stuff <laughs> so what would be an average day for for you no oh, that's a funny old question right now um so you know my career has changed in different ways you know, if you'd asked me that three years ago I would have said well I you know I work three days for help for heroes and on the other two days I do therapy you know, things have changed quite a lot for me um I, I've taken on a lot more therapy in the last year because I've never had so many people come forward for support and I find it very tough sending people away which I've had to do in the end um so I probably you know on an average day um I weirdly I, I tend to decide to do all my therapy on a Thursday um because generally I would go into the clinic and do it all uh, face to face but over the last year because things haven't been in a clinic it's all been done online um I have therapy that's kind of um peppered throughout my working week so I do one or two therapy sessions a day with with, with at least five or six on a Thursday um and then because I do a lot of work with organizations I will either be writing workshops um delivering workshops um i'm also setting up another business at the moment um to bring all kind of my knowledge and information to life on an app for the construction industry so there's a lot oh, of work wow. going into that's that cool yeah that's because we had um so we had a, an episode way 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 back in like 2019 one of, first. one of our first episodes where um we know a guy quite well who set up a mental health charity um for construction um because he was just like fed up of of the construction industry basically paying no notice to their workers you know mental health um and what he's doing is great so this is yeah super interesting what you're what you're going into yeah, I mean, it's, I suppose there's part of me, again, like all my, all my work within the military world has, I mean, absolutely, it, I'm not saying it pigeonholes me in terms of working with male dominated populations, but I have a lot of experience of, of trying to deliver messaging and, you know, deliver support in quite kind of male dominated populations or industries. And so I suppose the passion that I had around bringing psychological fitness uh, and and this attitudinal change towards our psychological health which I started to do within the military I, I thought there must be other industries that could really benefit from this and, that, and that's when I started looking at construction and then I uncovered the the, the statistics um, that you know two people a day take their life in construction it's got the highest suicide rate um than any other industry oh my word so um i just felt really strongly that i wanted to try and do something within that industry and it's been two years in the making and hoping not hoping it will in the summer we'll be launching that so um so a, a lot of time uh, i suppose what i'm saying to your your question is i don't have a normal day i'm <laughs> always doing different things and i suppose coming back to what i said i used to be in marketing there is quite a i really enjoy the kind of the business side of things as well um and i enjoy running my own business i enjoy the corporate side of things you know i used to work in marketing so i was constantly doing pitches and stuff like that so for me, I like the balance between 
doing therapy and I will always do therapy until someone zips my mouth up and that's the absolute beauty of, of, of training in this it gives you so many different ways to use it um, but then I yeah I really enjoy I enjoy doing workshops some people don't enjoy doing workshops you know it's, it's about what you want to do with you know the skills and the knowledge that you have so I my I have quite a broad um I suppose my days are quite different and broad as opposed to it might be if you work in the NHS as a clinical psychologist you would pretty much predominantly be doing kind of therapy yeah um for you what would be some personality traits that you see in yourself and some of your peers around you that maybe you think are quite not common but really helping help you do what you do yeah I mean it's you know, I, th- I I feel like I'm just going to give you the the stereotypical things because that that you would expect me to say. Like, you do have to be warm, <laughs> you do have to be open, you do have to be a chameleon, and I don't mean that in a in a negative way. That means you're not being authentic. But you know, I work with with from teenage girls and boys up to old age pensioners from every different background. I've worked in so many different types of locations where different types of people will be coming to see you for support. And the most important thing, the the best predictor of successful therapy, the research shows us, is what we call the therapeutic alliance, that relationship between the client and, and the therapist. And to be able to get a therapeutic alliance, there needs you need to be able to speak to someone in their language and you need to be able when well, I'm sorry, I don't mean in their language, as in I can't speak any other language other than English, <laughs> I mean, which really upsets me. I, mean, I feel very ignorant for that, but um, I just mean it in terms of you need to be able to hear them the way that they talk about things you need to be able to respond to the teenager slightly different than you would do the military guy or girl or the corporate guy. You know, you, there has to be, you have to be a good communicator, which sounds very obvious thing to say, but you need to be able to adapt quite well in relation to who you are sitting in front of to try and build a level of connection and a level of trust so you do have to be you have to be a compassionate person you have to be um, a kind person you need to be non-judgmental because you're going to hear lots of different things um, and your opinion sometimes you have to push it well you do always have to push it aside Um, so you have to be quite you know quite flexible quite malleable I would say. Um, And also, again, depending on what you want to do with it, um, you know, if, if, if you're someone that doesn't feel comfortable standing up on stage and doing presentations, you don't have to, you don't have to be. Whereas actually, if that's the route that you want to take, then yeah, there needs to be uh, some traits around having, you know, confidence um, and self-belief to be able to do that as well. So it does depend on, which area that you kind of go into of psychology really mm. and and for you what would be some of the biggest positives or opportunities you've had out of this so far i guess you know you, you've talked about it quite a lot how much it's so rewarding helping people that are in the armed forces and things like that yeah honestly i 
I absolutely love what I do. Um, and I have to say during my, whilst I was training, doing my doctorate, I questioned it over and over again. I really did. I was like, what am I doing? This is so hard. This is so long. Uh, I, I, but I, I would never have changed doing this because like you say, in terms of the things that I've got out of it, the high points, I mean, the, mil the military stuff is, will always remain uh, very, very dear to my heart. Things that I've seen, things that I have heard, which really ground you and make you really kind of appreciate things in your life and to really recognize what certain people go through in life and the ultimate respect that you have for them for, for doing that. Um, but I suppose it, for me, it's the breadth of the experiences that, that I've been able to have, you know, from both very much on the ground therapeutic work and, and seeing, seeing someone flourish and, and come through uh, having, you know, first sat in a chair in front of you, just scared to even talk about something you know, that that will always be the most rewarding thing that you can get. But also even just you know, when I run my psychological fitness workshops that I do for organizations, you know, like ITV and, and other fantastic organizations who have really adopted and recognize the benefit of, of investing this into their staff, you know, feedback, even just seeing feedback forms that just go, do you know what? I've never thought about the brain working like that before. That's so helpful. That will make my day. <laughs> that is just a wonderful feeling that I've helped someone understand their their mind and and their brain so uh, you know and, and i it's really it's, it's a really difficult question because i genuinely i i love the fact that you know i i get to read these research papers uh, that that tell me these amazing new and in, interesting facts and i can actually use them in in my day-to-day -day life and in my in my work so there's so many fantastic positive elements about it. Um, no, that's good. It's nice. To, it's always a good feeling to know you've you've made an impact on someone else um, with what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's look, the reality is in life, it's you know, yes, I'm helping someone else, but again, the 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 research shows that when we help someone else, it makes yeah. us feel great. Um, I don't do it for that, but obviously, it's a it's a wonderful thing to to think that. And again, I like to say it's more to what it, I facilitate. The other person is always the person that has to do the work, uh, but hopefully I can give them nuggets and things and tools and strategies and different ways of thinking about things, which facilitates a positive change for them. Uh, but on the other side of this, what would be some less favorable aspects of this industry? What's the what? Sorry, there. Some less favorable or negative aspects of this industry. Um, interesting. I mean... You know, I have a lot of people that say to me, I don't know how you do what you do in terms of holding people's narratives, their stories. Um, and some people might find it hard to do that. And, and sometimes, you know, it is, I suppose the less favorable for me is more around it's hard to say no when you're at full capacity, when you know that someone needs help, you know, genuinely it's, you know, someone else might struggle because you can't do something for them. And I think that's, you know, it, 
it's quite an emotive area to work in do you know what I mean because you're dealing with an indiv- you're dealing with individuals um as opposed to maybe in other some other industries where you know in my marketing life you know I didn't necessarily have the level I didn't in, have the investment mentally or emotionally into maybe some of the products that I was trying to market versus when I've got someone sitting in front of me telling about some telling me about something that's really tough that they've been through so you know that can it can sometimes take its toll but you know we have to have supervision so you you know it's important that you have the opportunity to process some of the stuff that you do here and and what you hold um I suppose again I did mention this earlier when you do do something you love it's very hard to kind of disconnect from it um mm-hmm. like I say I would go on holiday and and now I, now there's kindles it's great because no one knows actually what I'm reading <laughs> but I, I can get away with it whereas before I used to pack about like eight books you know one with entitled trauma uh, which doesn't look as you know uh, kind of holiday <laughs> reading as uh, as other things um the other I can't think this bad is this bad I can't really think of... no because if you love your job then some you know plenty of people that we've had on that love their job genuinely find it difficult to find a negative aspect yeah um, uh, I really, but... yeah I am struggling <laughs> <laughs> that's fine but we uh, again we we like to talk about um, average salaries and mm-hmm. see if you would agree with the figures that we we, we find, basically. Um, so apparently for a psychologist, the average figure in the UK is between 40 to 50,000. Now, does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, that's um, what you would. And again, it depends where you go. I mean, it, that will be generally kind of on a kind of an NHS based salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so an experienced, uh, you know, not a consultant level, but an experienced psychologist, once you're really embedded into the world, yeah, is between about 40 and 60,000. But, you know, if you work for a private practice, you know, that, that could be very different. Mm. And for anyone listening, thinking, do you know, I'd, I'd love to go into this and, uh, how can they stand out in an interview process? Um, to when they apply for these kind of jobs well, the, the thing that oh, one, once they're trained do you mean once they're trained yeah how can they and they go out to the to the big worldwide uh, work how can they uh, how can they stand out I mean, again I think it's just important that um, you can show a level of variety different settings um, different uh, types of clients that you work with you know there that people go down different routes they might specialize in specific areas like eating disorders or addiction or something like that but a lot of people employers want to know that you have a level of flexibility with you you have that means that you know who whoever walks through the door you will have the capability to be able um to work with them i i um my doctorate was actually quite the training in terms of the approach was very existential and psychodynamic. Um, but what I learned quite quickly is that from a mainstream perspective, if you have no CBT training, um, you're going to struggle. So I did extra CBT training, for example. Uh, and I don't, 
I could not just use CBT. Um, I like to pull from different approaches, but you know, CBT is the most recognized and the most researched approach. So making sure that you've got maybe a variety of extra training around different kind of approaches um, and to show that you are constantly, you know, learning and doing your CPD and um, attending interesting things and so that you can demonstrate your kind of, you know, your passion, your eagerness, not only to learn, but to also apply that um, learning within the work that you're doing. And, and for smile, you, smile a lot. <laughs> for you, um, obviously, before you start your doctorate, is there anything that you have to deal with now that you, you never expected to have to would be part of your day to day, maybe? I suppose for me, uh, when I did my doctorate, I genuinely thought that all I would be, when I say all I would be doing with it, obviously that it's not a small thing just to do therapy, but I did think that I would, I would use it to learn to be a, a, you know, a therapeutic psychology, you know, doing the therapy. I don't think I ever thought that I would build like a business as such out of it. Um, and I would be able to apply a bunch load of the other stuff that I learned during my marketing um, you know, and running workshops and doing corporate based stuff. And and um, or even I, I don't think I would have thought that I would have before my doctorate that I'd be doing all the military stuff that I've done. Um, so. So, yes, I, I suppose it's, uh, you know, understand well i didn't understand beforehand the opportunities that were available with this sort of training and uh would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now no i really don't enjoy it at all <laughs> okay i got that <laughs> uh well i mean just 100 i do so i do genuinely look back at those times where i was questioning what i was doing during my training and uh it is just 150% one of the best things that I ever did. I mean, I went back and trained when I was 30. So I took a bit of a big leap of faith um, in it because I'd worked my way up in another industry. So it was it was a big thing to do. And I'm just so pleased that I chose to do it. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. It's been uh, it's been great to hear someone who's so passionate about what they do. And I think the stuff you do with the armed forces is uh, is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Um, where can people find you on social media and what you're up to? Um, yes, I'm on Instagram and um, I am the MindFlex Doctor. Um, so um, that's how you would find me, basically. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much.